0: Hey y'all, a day here. Some of the audio in this episode is a bit wonky. You know how tech be sometimes. We still gave an even longer conversation with Heidi, which touches on socialism, trade secrets versus gatekeeping, and how the pandemic helped a lot of us focus on what we really care about and not what others we surround ourselves with physically or digitally think. We hope you dig it. And, uh, maybe you put your headphones on or listen to a, on a speaker, uh, for this one, okay? <laughs> All right, let's get it. I wanna wake up. I want Hey
1: everybody, I'm Carolyn. And I'm Ada And this is Creatives on Deck, an interview-style podcast where we talk to creatives who often find themselves working in two worlds, in their artistic endeavors that make them thrive, and the service jobs that not only fund their livelihoods, but teach them
0: about people. This week, our guest is Heidi Cannon. Heidi is a 30-year-old native Californian who has been living in Philadelphia for 10 years. Over the past 14 years, her wide range of service industry experience includes serving, bartending retail sales being a nanny and even an assistant you name it she's done it Heidi is currently a full-time optician at a local small business that she enjoys thoroughly outside of that she is a self-taught hand embroidery artist who spends most of her off time embroidering and drawing on suits to complete her third collection welcome Heidi thanks for coming on
2: hi thank you so much for having me very nice. A third collection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Possibly my last. Who knows? Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was You're here. Like, I did it. Three is a this good number.
1: Chapter is
2: over. I've been doing it for over almost seven years now. So like hand embroidery. So drawing just started because I was getting very tired of how like time Basically, it takes so much time to embroider a suit. Like Mm -hmm. one jacket could take upwards of 30 to 48 collective hours. So I'm just ready to try something else. Still creative, just maybe something else for a little bit. I can always come back to it. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's also, it's a lot of the same handwork. And I don't know if your hands get cramped or anything. Oh my God, all the the time, yes. That plays into
0: it, yeah? Yes, (laughs) yes. I went to school. I did textiles. I did embroidery and stuff. So I understand the whole. Oh, it's hour sixty. I'm still working on this. Yes. Mm, yes. Honestly,
2: part of me wishes that I did. Like I know every single person I know in their thirties is like I regret going to art school. Yeah. But (laughs) part of me really wishes that I did go to art school to kind of have a inside look before deciding to delve deep into something. Like, I kind of just chose this, was like, I'm going to watch three YouTube videos and then make this the rest of my life, (laughs) which um, when you blindly go into anything like that, you have to have some stupid kind of confidence. And I still have the first piece that I ever did, which is like a bootleg Bart Simpson on the pocket of a t-shirt that I, honest to God, thought was the coolest thing that anyone had ever done. And now looking at it, it's like, it's so embarrassing. It is... (laughs) It's so horrible. It looks like, you know, a two-year-old drew that on a t-shirt. It. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: that's, I feel like that's what all, when, when we start creating, especially something new, it's always going to look like shit. It's
2: yes. always going to
0: look like shit. <laughs> just always, it's just yes. always gonna it's gonna it's baby steps it's baby steps. oh yeah
2: totally yeah, I, I, that's why I love the archive tool on Instagram like that never existed that never existed that never <laughs> existed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes
0: yeah. so I wanted to, I wanted to like to start off because of just like how we met which is funny enough through my ex-husband greg
2: oh my god yes Uh, i was actually trying to think of how we've met because i've known you for i feel like i've known of you and known you for so long that i can't even remember like exact i knew it was through greg though
0: yeah he he kept showing me like a bunch of stuff you were doing he was like she's really cool you should like try and be friends with her and i was like that's random but okay (laughs) So uh, I just like started following you on Instagram. And yeah, it was one of those things where like, I feel like we were in each other's bigger circles for a while before we actually started to talk to each other and hang
2: out. 100%. I was like totally in awe of you and like kind of intimidated because I like loved the fact that you were a drummer. And first I tried to drum for about three years because I lived with my then drum teacher um, was a really good friend of mine. And we would just like drum in the basement. But then I came whenever we followed each other on Instagram. I remember watching your videos and being like, holy shit. Am I allowed to curse on this? Can I say what oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> I was just like, this complete badass that just like, I don't know, you've always been very like, quietly humble about how good you are at things. So you'll randomly pop out and be like, I'm good at this too. And I'm like, what the fuck, bro? What the fuck? I think
0: I think it's one of those things of where it's like um living from like in a big family where you get lost in the shuffle and then trying to do things that kind of make you stand out, but also like it's like that balance of trying to be like, well, oh, i kind of want i do i want this atten- i don't want this attention do i want mm. this attention <laughs> like, you know like also like just always being like the weird strange kid and stuff so like i think for me it's all about like i don't know i i, I, I don't see myself as like being like i'm I, this is me i do this shit I'm oh like that's like not my thing my thing is just like i like to do this if you like it you want to talk about it cool We'll talk about it and like share it some more. And that's about where my shit just stops at. I I met Carolyn too.
2: Yeah, Uh, I admire that because I am the exact opposite. I honestly, like, I'm just going to be honest about who I am as a person. I'm like, look at me. I'm doing this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. And I really do. Recently, a friend of mine said something, which I've heard so many times in my life, but I feel like you embody pretty well. Honestly, a running theme through everybody that I kind of admire is I don't say anything unless it's really meaningful or important to say. And I'm like, I'm the, I'm, I had a stuttering problem when I was a child because I tried to talk so fast, like about everything all of the time. My bot, like my lifestyle is nervous talking. (laughs) So like also nervous acting so if wow. like I feel like somebody else is nervous, I overcompensate by being like the jester and like being very flamboyant in my actions and my words. Um, and that is a running theme in my life. So when people are very quietly able to be creative without drawing attention to themselves first in the process, I'm like, oh, that's amazing
0: thank you for the compliment no one knows i take a fucking compliment but thank you i appreciate yeah honestly
1: i feel like sometimes you learn how to take compliments from being in bands or in some type of art where you're just like if i don't say if i don't just say thank you you're gonna keep standing here and telling me good things and it's gonna make me hate it more (laughs) (laughs) so you're just like cool yeah thanks But inside you're like, that was, like, fucking terrible. I can't believe I even uh, did any of that. I can't believe I showed you.
2: Honestly, how is it that every single artist that I've ever met at one point when I've complimented them has told me five reasons why I shouldn't compliment them afterwards?
0: Yeah. It's true.
1: Because no one is self-satisfied.
2: Honestly, the true mark of an artist is if you tell me Everything you hate about it after I say it, that was amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah.
1: What is your your history of service work, and what was your first job?
2: My first job ever was as a lifeguard. I actually saved a three-year-old child that summer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, a three-year-old walked into the deep end, and I happened to jump in. And oh save God. her. That's insane. But my first real service industry uh, position was as a server at a mm-hmm. steakhouse where you had to carry, like, those massive trays, you know, with, oh. like, the seven plates oh, on them.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah Jesus. That
2: yeah. always free the fuck out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Your worst fears, I've lived them. I've dropped the tray on a table. <laughs> Oh yeah. I mean, there've, there've been plenty of times, even like as a seasoned server or bartender where I've spilt drinks all over people. It just happens. But yeah. So I was basically career server bartender and that's what I did for up until I think like four years ago. That's what I did full time. And I really loved it. I think, and then I stopped drinking. So I had to stop doing that. (laughs) That's fair. Yep, yep.
1: Were there any people in those jobs that really stuck out to you for good or bad reasons?
2: You know, when I think of service industry positions, I typically remember the worst experiences, and I hate to say that. That like I I remember bosses specifically, like people who, you know, outside of work would be considered my peers who have called me stupid in front of people in the middle of a busy shift, or of course, typically men, Mm -hmm. of course. I don't think I've ever been in a position where I've had a non-male manager who talked down to me. I don't think that's a coincidence, (laughs) but I've definitely had really like egomaniacal male managers who really loved to make me feel like shit. I'm honestly trying really hard to think of a good experience.
1: <laughs> honestly, you don't have to force yourself. No, like, you if a lot to. of it was then negative. Then I can't remember
2: a good experience. Let's, <gasps> let's yeah. put it at that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think you mentioned that you like you've lived in a bunch of places so just the service work do you did you notice any changes between those locations or just like a general idea of how people were treated in service jobs in those different places if that was like mentally different
2: I feel like So I've lived in both rural areas and more urban areas. I moved to Philly from New York City and to New York City from West Virginia. That was kind of like the middle ground between California to New York was West Virginia. And um, Southern hospitality is totally a real thing in which people like, I think, were a lot more kind in general. But everything is a little bit, I feel like, slower paced. So I really enjoy very fast paced. I can take like, I'm the kind of server that valued taking 10 tables at one time. I really loved that. Get through the shift, get out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think it has less to do with where I was and the times they are changing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when cards started being used more heavily, I remember that I was working at a bar in um, South Philly, American Sardine Bar. So I had worked there for like three years and I was still there where when cash was essentially king. So I think people tipped more with cash Um. because it was tangible. You could see it on the table. You could see if this person was an asshole or not. In with a card signing on it, it doesn't like you can't see right away if this person has stiffed you or not. So people Mm kind of sign real quickly, run away. Yeah. And I think that on top of the way that I've typically always worked in neighborhood bars, like smaller business locations and, you know, the way that those areas have typically been gentrified it's really interesting that the more gentrified an area the less tips I make Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you have a tendency to have people who have careers that they've never worked in the service industry so Mm -hmm. they act completely they have no idea how to tip Mm -hmm. which is just you know not surprising but I genuinely still believe that everyone should have to be a server for at least one year of their life before they can do anything else
0: yeah
2: yeah
1: (laughs) That's like that's definitely an interesting thing to think about having that specific background where it's like you work these bars and you see the neighborhoods change. And to see that change when it's like, yeah, people who work in center city offices full time and like the just the drop in uh, appreciation they have for people who work in the businesses
2: around them. Yes. It's like you're not a real person. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, one other thing I wanted to see if if this was relevant at the time Um Comparing California and New York, what things are kind of included in um, stability in a service job. So, for instance, right now I have a friend who lives in New York and works at Bubblefish. And I think she's getting a position there now that includes healthcare, And they make a living wage. You know, they don't rely on tips. Um, so I was wondering if you saw any of that in California or New York Compared to Philly, West Virginia, that type of thing.
2: I honestly think that before credit cards became super prevalent and people were leaving with cash tips every day, the service industry was kind of like the Wild West. Mm -hmm. So there was no such thing like if there was ever healthcare involved in my job, I've never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) No one ever told me about that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you you knew that the management would have like possibly salary. But anybody who was bartender and below down to the barbacks, dishwashers, all of that were Mm -hmm. either cash tipped out or, you know, what have you. I think it's a very, very new thing that service is being valued the same way that it is in um, European countries, you know, Mm -hmm. that all included paycheck. You're not relying on tips. I think we're kind of realizing that as a society, we can't rely on each other to pay our rent. It's not mm. I'd say like 50% of the time you're walking away with way more than what most people would make in a single day, but then the other 50% is such a struggle that it almost just doesn't make it worth it. So, I've I've never personally seen that I transitioned into a service a position that is you know, very niche and random in like the optical world. It's still mm-hmm. technically a service, but it's not nowhere near what being in a restaurant is like. I think even mm-hmm. thinking about getting back into a restaurant position gives me so much anxiety mm-hmm. because there's so many moving parts and you're just mm-hmm. kind of a cog in the system.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm gonna be working with D, who we interviewed um a few episodes before And Love, uh, she, she works Dee. at Sally. Yeah, she works at Sally. She's the human resources person at Sally, but she's a bad bitch. She does a lot more. Like she does a lot of shit there.
2: Honestly, D does uh, everything. It is hard we'll to it. follow D. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. D is a sommelier, bro. Like yeah, yeah. it's that's. I sent her a message just asking
0: if she knew anywhere uh that was hiring and uh she's like just come work for me bitch (laughs) and i feel extremely comfortable going into that setting versus having that past experience of owners and managers who promise you all these things Mm -hmm. and you know these extravagant like life you're gonna have working for them and you'll be part of the family which if I ever hear that word again?
2: (laughs) Work (laughs) is not family. I don't care if I like you. Mm. I don't care if I love Mm. you like you are my sister. This is not Mm. a family and that is so manipulative. Yeah. That's just people saying, oh, we're like a family. Is just a way to manipulate you into doing whatever they need you to do. And if you don't, you feel really guilty. Also, side note, isn't it so amazing And interesting that the best jobs are always word of mouth of your friends. Yeah. Yes. Like if, if I had just moved to Philly and I didn't know anybody, I know I wouldn't have a good job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's true. I mean, I got my job through a friend texting me asking if I wanted it. Mm I was
0: going to ask, how did you get into
2: what you're doing now? Um... I was working at Warby Parker and, you know, I was making an unlivable wage and I was the, like the number one salesperson in that company for, um, like I made that company like $700,000 in one year. It was honestly insane. And I was probably making, I was making hourly and I think I was taking home maybe max $20,000. Uh, that year, damn, which is just yeah. in unlivable. I don't know how I did it. I think it's unlivable for anyone these days. Of course, they they raised it like two months after I left, <laughs> naturally, ah. naturally. Yeah. But I just really. I don't shy away from conflict if I feel like I'm advocating for myself and others. So there were a lot of scenarios in which some of my coworkers weren't comfortable speaking to the manager, but would come to me and talk to me about it. And then I would go speak to the managers. (laughs) That feels very familiar. (laughs) Yes, I I don't resent any of that either because I, I do think one of my strong suits is understanding that a company is not my family and I deserve to be looked at and viewed as a human being who deserves a living wage and adequate rest time and adequate rights within my position. So like, whenever Mm -hmm. I start a job, I learn the, I read the handbook. You know what I mean? (laughs) I really read the handbook. I, I look at what I'm allowed to have, and what they're not giving me, because I've made the mistake of not doing that. And I feel like being completely taken advantage of. Like there was a period in time working at Warby that about halfway through my time working there that I realized they were completely shorting us on a break every day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And when I brought it up to them, it was slowly implemented into our breaks over the course of like three months. But of course, I was like a horrible person for asking for it Mm -hmm. to the management because that break specifically was a paid break. You know what I mean? So they didn't want to give us the paid break breaks, which that's rest time. Everybody needs adequate rest time. But anyway, so I was working there. A friend of mine who I've known for years is an optician and she's great. And I really trust her. And she was working with this uh, company, InterVision, which is where I work. And she happened to text me this week. I swear I manifested this. I was like, I need to leave this fucking job. Like it's killing Mm -hmm. me. I got to yeah. go. And three days later, she's like, hey, I know you're working at Warby. Do you want to, you know, I don't know, come here? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I I went and interviewed and I knew I wanted the job as soon as my now boss was like, you're a Libra, I'm a Libra. And I've never had a guy ask me about my astrological chart before. And I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> So yeah, it's honestly, honestly, it's been amazing, but it was word of mouth through a friend of a friend, you know what I mean? Or through a friend. How long have you been working there now? Um, So I started three months before the pandemic um, and they brought me back on in July and I've been there since. So I've been in person at the office since last July. How's
0: that been like working through the pandemic? Like still going having a look at that every day there was so much so much happened in the past year right but to also still have to like go to work every day and kind of attempt to push all those things aside and do work and in some cases pretend like things aren't happening in the world like what what was that like
2: um well i had like two mental breakdowns um so that i think living in that duality of the pandemic exists and then the pandemic doesn't exist enough for me to not go to work. Right. Mm. So I'm, you know, that compassion that everybody had in the beginning of quarantine where everyone was like, help your neighbor. Well, that fizzled out real quickly. Um, (laughs) People don't care anymore. People just want what they want when they want it. And pandemic be damned. And people are not tipping right now. Oh, yeah. People are not tipping. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, we tipped you well for like three months. So that should be good for the rest of your life. Right. No. Hon- no. I, yeah. oh. I think from working in the service industry, I the minimum that I tip is 20 percent, no matter what.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't care if
2: it's legitimately the worst food I've ever had in my entire life or the worst service or whatever, because mm-hmm. genuinely you don't know what someone's day is like. 20 mm-hmm. percent is the minimum. Yeah. We're just going to put that out there. Yeah. You know, if it's a friend, 50% is the minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Go broke, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, because really what tipping has become has been like a small form of mutual aid. That's all it is. It's like us yeah. helping each other because we know we're not going to get it from the doctors and the lawyers of the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <sighs> we're not. But yes, yeah, so... It's been hard because I feel like for the entire month of January is very bleak. Um, I think I was really in the mindset of I was being yelled at a lot by customers at work about things that were completely out of my control. And you know, from one side, I'm hearing that's okay. They're you know they're just having a bad day. They're dealing with the pandemic, so I have to be empathetic to their pandemic. Mm. And then I have to ignore mine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I, I have to, and I'm almost being pressured to feel gratitude for having a job. Which, of course, I'm gr- I'm grateful. And I'm grateful mm-hmm. that I love my job.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you can have the best job in the world if you're not also given the space to, you know, feel what this last year has felt like. You're going to crumble. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so I did in January and then, like, I pulled myself back up. But, yeah. It's been... Interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Working service through pandemic is weird because
2: you need people to show up, but you don't want people to show up. Oh, my God. I would I would love for no one to ever show up ever. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. But I also love making money for my boss. I will say that. It's a, he's the first person I've ever enjoyed making money for mm. because he's such a good person. Like, I love mm-hmm. him and his family there's mm-hmm. a, it's a team of four of us. So we all get along really well. And I'm like, I want to make you happy. Genuinely. That's <laughs> the only scenario where I'd almost say we're like a family, but I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Cause anyway. you will let me down. I just know it. <laughs> I know. You know, it's really interesting because I have said to him, it's the first position I've ever been in, in which I've said, you know, I work to live. I do not live to work. And there is a time when I leave work, I do not answer the phone calls. I don't answer my emails. And I just need you to understand that that is a boundary that I'm putting down. And he completely respects that because you've had positions where people are like, Oh, Hey, I know it's your day off. Um, after working 25 days in a row, can you actually come in and cover a double and then a end, please? And you're like, I will do that. Of course I will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and i'll hate you for it but i'm accepting it anyway (laughs) damn yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the thing is i i think there's like this reconnaissance happening of like people really admitting i don't crave labor i don't Mm want to i don't want to do the things i don't want to do anymore (laughs) yeah Like we are kind of seeing this rise in potential of people really being able to do the things that they want to do and being successful at it. So there's this new drive, especially in the pandemic, like a microscope on that world of people being really successful in the things that they want to do, people trying new things and it really working out for them. And I think it's an even bigger push to be like, you know what? I'll admit after not having to work for three months, going back to work was the worst thing. In the entire world. I'm like, I am a different human being now. And they started me back at like three days a week. And I'm like, that's too much. Yeah, (laughs) Three days? Are you kidding me? That cuts into my sleep time. I think the the three months off and learning that, like, oh, my God, like we are doing so much reading and we're learning about capitalism and we're learning about, you know, all of these injustices that we've just accepted. I feel mm-hmm. like everybody is like anti-capitalist now. And it's really honestly very sexy. I love it. Yeah. As a society, we're all like, no, nope, not going to happen anymore. Make it a 20 hour work week. Make it three days a week. That's it.
1: It's crazy to see people roll their eyes at the idea of socialism because it's like you're literally living out parts of this, and it is making your life better. Like it's unfortunate because it takes a lot of seeing to believe. Oh yeah, in those types of ideas,
2: and then it also takes putting A and B together for you to see that that's what that is. Yeah. Genuinely, I don't think anyone dislikes socialism. I think they dislike the word socialism. Yeah. So like, it's one of those things where if you blindfolded somebody. And you like, you know, handed them something and they're like, oh, I hate this thing. And you hand it to them and they're like, I love this thing. Like, yeah, you didn't know it was the thing that you thought you hated. Yeah. We just have to trick an entire society into like becoming socialists. That's all. That's all. No big deal.
1: (laughs) Working for an eye doctor place, working for people who provide eye care to people. What is your specific current job there? Like kind of what's some day to day and what are the other jobs, um, either you working for other people or you working for yourself that you're doing right now?
2: Um, So my specific position is I'm an optician technically, Mm -hmm. but I can label myself essentially as anything I want because the way that my position works, again, we're a team of like four to five people, not counting the doctors. I think now it's, yeah, I think back up to five people. We have two locations, one in South Philly and one in Rittenhouse. And so I'm the only person in South Philly and everyone else else is in Rittenhouse, which is the most magical thing in the entire world for me. <laughs> a dream job is just working by myself. <laughs> like it is, you know, I, I'm really soaking it in because at some point it is going to change. We are by appointment only. So I don't have to worry about, you know, being bombarded with a bunch of people, everything from adjustments to appointments is appointment, um, appointment only. Like eye exams is appointment only. So essentially I check people in, I adjust glasses, I sell glasses, I read glasses, I deal with insurance. I, I have two people at my job who really assist me with the scheduling and, you know, the follow-ups and things like that. I think we're a pretty solid team, but that's all to say I work alone at that uh, location and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I just messenger like the, my only connection is we have we use time cycle couriers to courier things back and forth. And that's about it. That That yeah. is Discord And I love it. I can <laughs> I can just not look at it if I want to. I hope <laughs> none of my coworkers are listening to that. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm busy. I just don't look at the discord. But now other than that, like I said, I, in the beginning, I am working on a third collection of clothing which i essentially have micromanaged my days down to like the hour so i like turn my phone on airplane mode an hour and a half before bed mm-hmm. i do any planning drawing um or reading i want to do in that time before that i typically go on a run every single day and then i am drawing or embroidering or looking up inspiration I think micromanaging my own day is the only way that I don't have consistent breakdowns anymore. Like I'm mm-hmm. so planned that I'm like, I can't schedule a breakdown right now. <laughs> like from yeah. nine to 10, I'll be crying in my bed. And then from 10 to <laughs> 1030, I'll be reading again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at this point, like the through the pandemic, I've really learned how I know this sounds almost sad, but like I treat my life outside of my job as my job. Like I treat it with as much care that like my boss looking at me working would. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to really utilize my time and not just to be productive, but to like care about myself, to like utilize rest. Like I make sure I get a solid eight to nine hours a night. Whereas before I'd have, like, five hours of sleep a night. So, like, my full-time job outside of my job is just making sure I'm good. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. I'm also embroidering when that fits in, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, which touches on something you said before, of like, when you would be used to work at other jobs and they call you outside of those times that you're not at work and you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure, I can come in and do all these crazy hours, even though i you know. So now you're in a, in a space where you are setting those boundaries for yourself and especially for self-care. I guess my question would be, like, how did you get to that point of – because I think this comes up – it has come up with basically everyone we've talked to. Yeah. <laughs> who is just – everyone is just so fucking busy with what they've been doing, even before COVID, you know? Um. So how did you get to a point where you were like – this is done i'm not like letting anyone else take my time my energy my power this is the, these are the things i i want to do outside of you know going to work for a paycheck to help me drive and live my life
2: okay so i think that if we're going to do that cheesy thing of what has COVID made me grateful for? <laughs> um, I will say that the abrupt, like, you know, remember when they told us we can go home for two weeks and then we'll come back out and that never happened. Okay.
0: Can I just say, I don't remember that. I just remember. Because like, I've heard that a lot lately and I don't
2: remember that. I just remember. That's what the initial shutdown was for. The initial shutdown was for two weeks. They were like, yeah, we're going to shut everything down for two weeks and we're going to restart. And then two weeks and they're like, Three more months now. <laughs> yeah. Three. This is one of my funniest memories from 2020. March 1st, um, sitting in Hungry Pigeon with my now ex, writing a list of all of our goals for the month and then the year. <laughs> like, that is hysterical to me now. I, Every time I need a good laugh, I go back and I read that list. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that... Great joke. Great joke. Uh, (laughs) Oh my God. I'll be honest. The way that I started prioritizing myself was the shutdown, A, and then my ex and I breaking up and me going through this like personal turmoil of there's no distractions in COVID times. Not really. You can't go out to bars. You can't go flirt with random people. You can't do this or that. You know, the things that normally take your mind off of things it was an extremely transformative breakup because I went from, like, I will adamantly always say, like, yeah, I hate all men. Like, I just, I fucking hate all cis men. I just do. Um, I mean,
0: we're not going to disagree
2: over here. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if you're a cis man, please stop. Just stop it. Um, <laughs> But it really made me, so I like started therapy. Um, I, I really having to stop doing everything you're doing makes you reassess everything you're doing. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I hate to say this. I'm kind of Marie Kondo every aspect of my life, not fuck clothes, like every aspect of my personality, like what I wanted to do with my life. Like I hired a full-time French tutor because I was like, fuck it. I'm going to learn French. I've always wanted to do it. I'm going to do it. I learned how to like stop and take a beat every time I wanted to be overly reactive. Like it taught me this like whole last year has just completely transformed the way that I interact with myself and others. And also the space away from other people took away my need for other people's approval. Like I think that I, you know, Instagram, of course, always connects that bridge, you know, that validation bridge. But overarching is this idea where like, I used to distract myself with how other people made me feel. And now I focus on how I feel and how other people make me feel as far as like, if someone should be in my life or not. If I even like the embroidery that I'm doing, if I like the book that I'm reading, or am I doing it because so-and-so is reading it and I enjoying this art or is this just because some pretentious person told me I should like this art? Like, you know, I think I've really grown over the last year as far as just like trusting myself and trusting myself to know what is right for me. So like, as far as embroidery goes, I joke that this would possibly be my last collection. It's because I don't know if I ever want to do it again. And we'll, we'll feel it out when it gets to that point. Maybe. How,
0: are, how far are you, uh, to being done?
2: I, every three weeks, I say three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I just go in three weeks, I'm going to do it. It'll be done. So I initially was like, I'm going to hire a photographer, a videographer. I'm going to do all this shit. I'm going to do it proper. And then I stripped it down. And I was like, I'm gonna shoot everything on a, um, a disposable camera, and I'm gonna do everything myself because I, if this if this is the last collection I do with this specific medium, I want it to be just me doing it. So I'd like to, of course, have you know people modeling it safely. I just got fully vaccinated, um, so <laughs> safely. Whoop, whoop. I can now mouth kiss anybody else who's been fully vaccinated. Let's go. <laughs> Let's Such go.
0: Thing.
2: <laughs> I have a side question for you. Yes. Did you crave watery
1: sugar, like a fruit, like a melon, after, after you got, got your second, second dose? dose?
2: I was like, in general? Because, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> second, second, after
1: you
2: got <laughs> <shot>. it. Um, <laughs> I genuinely thought you were like, do you crave? I thought this was going to be like an ad break. Do you crave watery, <laughs> sugary beverages? surprise boy- ad breaks <laughs> up. Amazing. Um, honestly, I was miserable the second day. I don't remember craving anything but sleep. I got personally Pfizer, and the first shot felt absolutely nothing. The second shot the day after, I could I didn't feel feverish, but I couldn't keep my eyes open. Mm-hmm. I felt like sore all over and I just ended up sleeping for like 16 hours. And then feeling amazing. I've... Yeah. <laughs> 16 hours is a long time. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I feel like I got us completely off track. What other things have you built in to take care of yourself?
2: I uh, have a Sunday ritual of going to a Goodwill in Jersey every Sunday ah. for dollar Sunday. Ooh, very nice. Um, I have the hookup with a person cause I've gone so consistently for the last Ooh. few years that no matter I hope no corporate goodwill people are listening to this right now <laughs> I don't think so we yell it to all the capitalists so. <laughs> um but no matter what I bring to the counter she charges me a dollar for it
1: oh hell yeah <laughs> it's
2: the greatest honestly this is the only hookup I need in my life
1: yeah, listen, I've I've done uh, full Goodwill days and there's like six you can hit in New Jersey in like an hour.
2: Yes, like they're everywhere so. and I will never tell anyone where my hookup is. Except for you two. Yeah. I'm a sucker, so I'll yeah, tell you guys good. after this. But no one on the air gets <laughs> If you compliment me one time, I'll give you the info. <laughs>
0: Because that's the worst when you're just like, oh, yeah, this is here. And then the next time you're
2: just like, oh, it's been ruined. I've learned so much creatively and style wise through Instagram the difference between keeping trade secrets and gatekeeping, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where that's like such a huge thing that people are like, I think there was a surge of people being like, give us, tell us everything, like share everything about your craft. You do not have to share everything about your craft with people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to Mm -hmm. share everywhere you shop with people. I know it's the most annoying thing in the world when you ask somebody where they got something and they say, I thrifted it. Yes, that is so annoying, but that's like time. That's time, baby. That is a lot of effort. I feel like one of the biggest hindrances in me even wanting to do anything artistic publicly is no matter what I do, whether it's embroidery or drawing on something, I get about, I'd say, a good 10 messages a day from people being like, how do you do that? And where did you get this? And what is it? And what do you do? And why do you do it? And how do you feel about doing this thing that you're doing? Mm. And I'm like, oh my God.
1: Put in this work so I can do this for free.
2: Yes. Yes. First things first, I wish that people had to pay a dollar every time they they ask you a question. Be a lot less questions. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you shouldn't ever ask somebody a question you're not willing to compensate them over. I think it's this weird, you know, reverse psychology thing of being like, oh, yeah, you should. Like, you're an asshole if you don't share your trade secrets, secrets with people. I hate that so much. I learned via YouTube videos. Like, I'll send you the YouTube video if you want to take the time, by all means. Yeah. Or I'll teach you in a workshop, by all means. Mm-hmm. But people don't like that answer.
0: They don't. They really they don't. don't. Which ties in perfectly. I'm doing a Carolyn right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it ties in perfectly to mutual aid and what's been That's happening a good in the past year with I don't wanna say people learning that the world is still racist, essentially. Yeah. And <laughs> approaching a lot of teachers and people who've been doing the work before the past year how has that really changed you because you were I saw you were going to a lot of protests and things like that and I'm not sure what that was like for you before COVID hit and all the uprisings started and how involved you were in doing mutual aid or with being more aware of what's going on because I I do find it it depends on the white person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's like, there's a million different ways to answer this and a million different answers to each question I've learned via personal trial and error over the last year Mm. in so many different ways. I've always been pretty, I think, in tune to injustice or like unethical treatment of people. Like I said, within my job, I've always been fine, like advocating for the underdog or people who are unfairly treated. And I've had experience since I've had Instagram with people of color calling me in prior to this year, right? So I've been called in to things that, like, I have a friend named April in New York who a few years ago had messaged me. And I'll never forget this because it was like such an eye opening thing. This is probably, I think, two or three years ago now, she messaged me and she was like, you know, following you has been amazing. You're a really uplifting person. You're a great person to follow. However, and you're so supportive of everyone in your community. However, I noticed that your community is predominantly white and the people that you predominantly give a platform to on your platform are white. And I know that you have other people Mm -hmm. in your life. So what's that about? And I think that was the first main time that I had ever been called in by another person. And I did a lot of soul searching in that time period when she asked me that. I took my time to respond. I really listened to her because I feel like if she was giving me this information, she wasn't doing it for her own health. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky that, you know, I have her as a friend to really to have done that at that time because it really gave me the difference between being called in and called out and being called to action is right. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did go to a lot of protests because when I was in that three-month period of time, I decided that that would be my full-time job. So I really decided that if I wasn't working full-time, that I had no other excuse but to show up. And so I did that by doing that in person because I was physically able to. And then also by, I basically would spend like 16 hours a day reposting information To the point where like some of my friends were like, you need to rest, my friend, you need to rest. But I'm really also fortunate because I do have like a wide branch on Instagram that I was tuned into educators pretty like almost immediately. So I started following Rachel Cargill's Patreon, Erica Hart's Patreon, people who are doing a lot of work. I think I made a lot of mistakes, especially in the last year, like learning what was appropriate for me to share and what was appropriate for me to listen to. And, you know, I am totally fine with having made those mistakes and then learning from it and I guess growing with it. And that's a big thing is like being comfortable with not asking people to educate you and just listening to what they're saying. Cause if you just listen, they'll educate you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so as far as like mutual aid goes, there are things that I do privately that, You know, one of the big things over the last year is learning that you don't need to publicize every single time you you perform um, mutual aid with another person or, you know, what might be called like reparations, like personal reparations don't need to be publicized. Right. So there are things that I do in my private life that are intentional, that I do those things. And this is definitely the first year that I've ever done that. It was a huge eye-opening thing into what mutual aid actually looks like, what reparations, personal, and from the state looks like. There's a lot that I've learned, but I think that I'm extremely grateful for, I've benefited from mutual aid in small degrees of things. You know what I mean? Looking back in my life, I've benefited from a tipping lifestyle is just people giving mutual aid to each other back and forth. I mean, in Mm -hmm. the service industry, it's one bartender going to another bar, giving them all of their tips and then them going back and giving them all Mm -hmm. of their tips. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think that I guess what was the question, really? Like, what have I learned?
0: (laughs) What haven't I learned? (laughs) I mean, you basically answered the question.
2: Yeah, I, I the importance of mutual aid is that, like, you can't rely on your government to do shit for you. And that it is possible to uplift each other in a community. I mean, it's kind of crazy that uh, GoFundMe has become the number one healthcare-funded thing. Yes. Like, it essentially is universal healthcare. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. In addition to the past year, what types of experiences and things from the jobs you've had, from the people you've known, also inspired how you feel about? mutual aid? And when did it kind of dawn on you that like, oh, these things I'm doing are that?
2: I mean, when you work in the service industry, you are your entire world opens up to every kind of person. You have a lot of undocumented people working in restaurants. You have a lot of people who come from completely different backgrounds than you. Every restaurant is like a mini, like a microcosm, right? In Northern California, I was raised in a predominantly like Latina area. So it was more common for me to be, I guess, in that situation, the minority than it was not to be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't until I moved to the East Coast that most spaces were predominantly white that I lived Mm -hmm. in. Like, most neighborhoods were predominantly white. Or as far as, like, mutual aid goes, my parents aren't necessarily super politically active but they are the kind of people who had like called me during the pandemic and when Black Lives Matter first started and they were like I just want to call to make sure you're out there protesting like they're those kinds of people so I was kind of always raised with this uh mentality of like just what is right is right so I I've always lived a certain kind of way and didn't know I was living a certain kind of way until somebody said that's the word for that does that make sense yeah Mm -hmm. Where it's just kind of like, what is right is right. If that's wrong morally, ethically, you'll feel it, you'll know it, you'll see it, you'll learn from it. So more or less, like that's kind of, you know, it wasn't until this last year that I gained a lot of vocabulary for the way that I was raised and the way that I view, like a lot of the people I respect, a lot of people who are, you know, activists in the community. It wasn't until this last year that I was given like words for what they do, what their actions look like. Like mutual aid was like, I had no idea what that really was up until this last year. And now I've real, recognized it as like one of the most important things that we can do for one another. Mm-hmm. I really black out in these situations. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, what am I saying? What am I doing? What do I do with my hands? Can you even see my hands? It's oh, like- that's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What are your goals you see for yourself in the next year? And what do you hope people maintain from everything you've seen people
2: learn from the past year? Stay consistent. Stay consistent with what you've learned in the last year. I think that we've all kind of seen um, the ebb and flow of like caring. And then when it's not immediately in your view, not caring so much anymore. Mm -hmm. So staying consistent Learning how to keep it in your life full time. So like my thing is I have a private reparation that I pay every month and I have an email reminder set up and it just automatically comes out of my account, right? So I have that set up every month and that makes it kind of seamless and easy. I don't have to think about it and that makes it consistent in my life in perpetuity, Outside of that, positivity wise and creative wise and treating each other kind wise is staying tuned into what's happening around you, but also giving yourself the space to like, I don't know, breathe and be a person too, and giving yourself the space to create something and feel some kind of joy in your life. Because I feel like the main theme of the last year has been like an avalanche of learning, which can be really stressful and also a Massive feeling of like not knowing what to do with this knowledge now. So like listening to other people, watching their actions, people who have been doing the work for years, look at what they're doing, and kind of follow suit. We don't all have to all be leaders in the movement. We can all kind of just do what they're calling us in to do. Right. So continuing that momentum of what other people are always doing, tipping people at Mina's world, do that more. <laughs> Bring it up from that 18%. <laughs> um yeah i don't know i i i feel like this i'm like still such a work in progress of like how to maintain happiness in this time period so i don't know if i have the best answer for like what to do long term just try just keep trying (laughs) do the best that you can do
0: that's all we can do yeah it's a shit
2: show out here y'all it really is (laughs) it really is (laughs) (laughs)
0: And that perfectly ends our interview with Heidi. You can follow her and her progress on her new collection at American Waste Music today was provided by Full Bush. You can find Creatives on Deck on any podcast streaming platform and on Instagram at Creatives on Deck. Got a question? Send us an email, deck at gmail.com. See you next week for our last episode of season one. Bye-bye.